Welcome to Outlandish Parish, y'all, where we always leave out a bowl of gumbo for our ancestors or the neighborhood Matu Noir, whoever gets to it first. How y'all doing? It's a couple of days after uh, Halloween down here on the bayou, and I hope everyone had a nice Halloween. And for those of you who celebrated La Toussaint or Fête de la Toussaint, I hope the souls of your departed had a, a safe travel in that time between times. If you want to know more about La Toussaint, it's the French tradition of tending the tombs between Halloween and All Souls Day. Uh, you can check out my blog at alexisbro.com or look for a link in the show notes if you want to know more. But while we are in between episodes, uh, Jonas and I decided that we wanted to do a follow-up to our Rougarou episode because there was a, a source, a contemporary documentary by the production company Small Town Monsters. And that documentary is called Skinwalker, Howl of the Rougarou. And, you know, it really stood out from the others for reasons that Jonas and I are about to get into. First and foremost, we really want you to go ahead and check it out. It's really well done. And that's why we believe it warrants this additional look. Now, it's not perfect. Or Jonas and I, we wouldn't have had anything to talk about in that first episode, right? But for now, just pull on over. Kill the engine. Get out and stretch your legs. Maybe maybe keep an eye on those caroncros circling overhead. But uh, I want y'all to enjoy this little pit stop in Outlandish Parish. Hey, Jonas. So how's it going? Halloween going well. well. How are you? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty good. Ready for the holiday push, the holiday rush. At least we don't have to dig ourselves out of snow. Speak for yourself. People. I do. I, I, I've lived in snow. It's yeah. fun for about 12 minutes from what I told the kids. And then you're like, I'm just wet and cold. And then you go yeah. inside That's... and eat some gumbo. Accurate. Totally accurate. <laughs> it is gumbo but, uh... weather all the time, like half the year of where I am right now. So You still look amazing for living in 10 months out of the year gumbo weather. Um... <laughs> Thanks. So today we're going to be talking about Skinwalker Howl of the Rougarou. It's the documentary that we felt really stood out from a lot of the stuff that we covered for the Rougarou episode a couple of weeks ago. It was released in September of 2021 by a production company called Small Town Monsters, directed by Seth Breedlove and produced by Adrian and Seth Breedlove. And uh, had you ever seen the documentary before or had you come across any of their work before, Jonas, or no? Before you mentioned it to me, no, I hadn't been watching it. I mean, it's a great documentary. I mean, very well shot. The art that they used for it was great. The people that they interviewed were equally amazing and very diverse as far as their experiences with the Rougarou and what they knew about it and different bayous, because different bayous have different tales, obviously, and yeah. might be talking about the same Rougarou, but different bayous going to explain it a little bit different. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think that them coming down here is one of the things that impressed me the most because how far away are y'all from New Orleans? Like Chauvin is how far from New Orleans? Probably a couple hours if you're driving the speed limit, you know, it depends. Uh, and then Cocodry a little further than that. Yeah. Like they, they put in some tire rubber getting this done yeah. and like all the stuff I, I heard about small town monsters. Oh God, about five or six years ago through a podcast called uh, astonishing legends. And they specialize in deep, deep, deep dives mm -hmm. on some really weird stuff like the bet sphere in, in florida which was like this random metal ball that could roll uphill and like the fbi got involved in stuff back in the the 70s Whoa. like six or seven hours minimum on the patterson gimley film and the bigfoot film like like talking nice. to them 
the cassette manufacturer like company down to some really stiff skeptic level analysis of a lot of stuff but also the cool kind of open mind right like mm -hmm. it, it's it's a really really good podcast and they featured uh small town monsters on there i think it was for the beast of railroad because that was one of their like that was their hometown monster that they started off covering and um okay. yeah i've loved them ever since i've seen a couple of their things i hadn't i've never watched one of their productions three times in a month before <laughs> walker howl the Ruguru. It's all right. But, you uh, do your research, yeah. I, they, do, but do yeah, I've subscribed to them since then. I, I'm eager to check out their other works for sure. Yeah, they've they've got a huge, huge catalog, and they definitely come at it from the point of view of like, this is a real occurrence. These are real witnesses. They definitely come at it from the point of view of a cryptid and a physical being, a physical entity, with like kind of all of their productions more so than the sort of folkloric aspect or you know they don't go really too far into the woo they don't necessarily go into like bigfoot is a trans-dimensional fairy as much as some <laughs> stuff does some um, stuff does that okay some oh yeah I, Big, i'm Bigfoot. not doing my research nearly <laughs> enough i guess yeah you you probably are just generally more responsible than me and don't listen to as many <laughs> podcasts. To the fanfic <laughs> no no don't don't never no, look I'm up Bigfoot fanfic Do oh not. god Look no, up Bigfoot fanfic. Um, oh. you, you don't want to know what's out there, people. And it, ooh, there's so yeah. much. Right, it's the volume. <laughs> it's, it's the volume of the Bigfoot romance novel uh, oh, category wow, yeah. that is mm. both inspiring for the the possibility of audience as an author, but also like just the. <laughs> There, yeah, there are like, so many people yeah, there's out there. an audience just... for that you can write your book about whatever you want exactly like what's the thing is there's a novel inside of every person i didn't realize so many people had like bigfoot romance novels that oh, that was man. their novel waiting inside of them but anyway enough about that's, bigfoot. that's somebody else's um, podcast <laughs> you'll, you'll check them out and I don't know. to be clear uh small town monsters has not made any sort of uh bigfoot romance novels they they, they stick to the um the factual accounts but they are a really good production company, and they definitely brought a, a very a very refined aesthetic, a very refined eye, and a really professional treatment to Skinwalker Howl of the Rougarou. Mm -hmm. And they, they, one of the things I loved is they just grounded it so much in our culture. You know, they came down here. They drove two hours to go south of New Orleans, you know, to, to come out and talk to the people who are from here, I mean, the first face we see is Jonathan Foray, right? Like the official Cajun of Terrebonne Parish. And, um, <laughs> you know, they talk about it. They they talk to people who talk like us, who grew up where we grew up. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a flat accent. It's, it's really, you know, like you <laughs> said, sound, grounding. <laughs> they all talk like this, you know. I, I, I don't, I watch all yeah. my shows with subtitles, so, so I, I don't know if they automatically kick in for some people, but... um. Interesting. Least, ne never watch the auto generate uh, accents for a Cajun. It doesn't. It doesn't go well. Um, <laughs> yeah, Coach O did not. Seldom accurate. Well. No. But they do. They talk about the Acadians. They talk about the derangement, and kind of a little bit more later, going into the the show, they revisit these things. But that first, the first quarter of it, the first fifteen minutes of the hour long documentary, they talk about us. You know, and they chose Jonathan to be the first person you see. And Jonathan is someone who's made his life's work preserving the wetlands, preserving our culture, you know, and they talk about those issues. They talk about how the place that we're living is 
going out to sea and subsidence. Mm -hmm. And they talk about the population being under stress from these things and how important it is for the area that our culture survives and that our stories get passed on. So they definitely root you in the Eastern Gulf Coast in Louisiana. Like you're there, you're, you're at the camps, you know, the houses on stilts. Yeah. Did you see any I grew places up in that one you of those. <laughs> but this places you also, I, I did. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, the, yeah, the house that I just mentioned on stilts that I grew up in right next to, uh, Roxanne seafood and, and coquetry it, it's gone now because of hurricane Ida took oh, it man. away. Um, but yeah, and I was just posting in the, in the ground. That's it. But, uh, yeah, I did see a few, you know, a few places that we, I recognize, you know, the, the crossroad in, uh, Cocodri down there by Cecil Laparus that, um, we all always ever knew that as the co uh, the crossroad. And, uh, I, I learned in this video that it was called Bayou Sally Road, S-A-L-E for the spelling. Um, uh, but yeah, it's a really cool road that goes from Cocodri to Grand Kaya that I spent many many days riding across when I was little. I'm just kind of imagining it a little bit like um, like LA1, like it's just one of those two-lane highways that goes on one side of the bayou. No, it's like a winding little thing. It, it's Highway 57 as well, but it's hardly a highway. It's a winding little tiny road that it, it only goes if, two ways, yeah. If you get lost um, on it, like some, like if you're if you like, no, Brad, I know where we're going, and like you take them on Bayou Sally Road, you're like, oh, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna chop my head off and... <laughs> Right, yeah, for sure. It's kind of like that. Okay, <laughs> it's so kind of surrounded by. One. Yeah, you know, we used to go pick blackberries on that road in the, you know, when the season was appropriate. And uh, but yeah, it's a weird, weird road that kind of just winds through the marsh and swamp down okay. there. But it's we a cool road, very cool road. Yeah, check it out. It's, it's a pretty road. <laughs> From what but, I mean, nope. it's been a while. I haven't ridden that road in fifteen years, but. <laughs> I actually Next did some you... of my photographs at Nichols on that road for uh, oh, Deb wow. Lilly's class. Yeah, it, it's. It, I mean, look, the cinematographer for this this documentary obviously had like a wonderful time down here. Absolutely every shot, like all these framing shots, they they must have gone to every cemetery because I'm seeing stuff. I don't for know real. how common it is to have uh, multicolored tombs. But they had a couple of shots in there that make me think that they came to Holy Rosary Cemetery up in La Rose because for whatever reason, well, I I know the reason, but they have they allow colored tombs in the La Rose, the Holy Rosary Cemetery, but that's not common. They made a couple of special dispensations for some young people who passed away, and now it's just become practice. You have to petition for it, but we have like orange tombs, blue tombs, a pink oh, wow. tomb. Which is not, it's not common, but no, you know, definitely fact, not common. I've only ever I, seen, you know, white or gray typically being yeah. the, you know, colors. But they, the fact that they have like that, like I said, the cinematographer just this every loving shot of a statue is just beautifully framed. Like they must have been it in, is, yeah. in, in photography heaven down here. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, they, they really talk about who we are as a people, the people that they're talking to are our voices, the stories that they're telling are coming from the people who live the experiences. And, you know, I really appreciate that treatment, but they don't even start talking about the Rougarou until 15 minutes in, which is, <laughs> in my opinion, a good, you know, it, like I said, they're taking that time to show the culture that produced the story. But when we finally get to the Rougarou, they have some great accounts. They have really good stuff. And they do talk about 
the wolves. And I just kind of want to clarify a few things about wolves from the previous episode. There are wolves that are native to Louisiana. They're called the red wolf. I did a little bit of extra digging because when we went back and we're doing some editing, I thought we might've been a little vague on something. So just to clear up, the red wolf is native to Louisiana and the last one wasn't captured until 1980. So like around the time we were born, but the red wolf is not, it's not really big, right? It, it, it's still, it still warrants paying attention for stories that like you're seeing a wolf that's the height of a man on its hind legs because the red wolf, even when it was here is only about the size of a coyote. Like that's four feet from the tip of its nose to the end of its tail and only about two feet at the shoulder. Mm. You know, there, there were some pit bulls at the Rougarou fest a couple of weeks ago that were bigger than this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're not gonna see like like if you if if you have accounts that we that we've talked about or that they talk about in this in this documentary or accounts that you may come across, you know, if if anybody's doing their own research, that dog on its hind legs is not gonna be the height of a, a man. They're not gonna be five, six feet tall. They're not gonna be, you know, they're only gonna be about three and a half, four feet tall if they're trying to stand up and Yeah, chest height or so, you know. To, yeah, to you're not gonna a mistake a a red wolf for, you know, a full grown man, especially with some of these accounts that are even taller than a full grown man sometimes. So yeah. um, just, just clearing up my stuff. I'm gonna have a link to a, a issue from country roads that covers it in the show notes. Um, just making sure we're doing our homework, doing the mm -hmm. research, mm -hmm. but they did talk about the people that actually like saw the Rougarou, which, Oh my God, these were some of my favorite parts. They, um, they Absolutely. had Mr. Roy Verrett. And he was the one who like saw the Rougarou and you could tell this, you, you know why this man is like still in live and has very few, he's like, saw it. He just kept it to himself. Right. He's mm -hmm. <laughs> the Homa tribe member. He's like, I saw the Rougarou and then I just mind my own damn business. Like that was his whole story. <laughs> you don't want any kind of repercussions from seeing the Rougarou, right? No, yeah. man. I like but that. Then my, my favorite was my Miss uh, Elizabeth Corto. Oh my Same. God, this woman. Something about I feel like I could I could smell the perfume on her like a little bit of Avon, <laughs> like I'd have walked into my mama's kitchen and she'd have been sitting there with like the hot gossip for coffee at two p.m. and it would have mm. all been in French. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love that whole <laughs> that whole scene. Yeah, oh, bringing no. me back to childhood there. I, I really liked her too. I, I she mentioned her father was a chief as well, right? And her mother, her mother's mother, it was was a Chittimacha princess. Also yeah. very cool. Um, I also liked her story about how the Takapa, the tribe, they prayed to dark spirits and parts of their members of their tribe became the Rougarou and they lived amongst the tribe. Of course, that's back. She's talking about back probably in the 1800s when that happened, I'm guessing. Yeah. But yeah, still and very I like interesting. I feel like Miss Cortos probably like came across to me as a person who grew up like hearing stories about the Rougarou. So from mm -hmm. her, you've got like that pure oral tradition folklore, right? She's the one who's talking about, you know, she, she talks about the different laws. She talks about the different rules. She talks about being uh, raised, uh, at least aware of her native heritage. She seems like she's probably of a generation that some, some people who are indigenous or were around and like trying to practice in the seventies when there was this huge cultural movement of first nations and indigenous people to like, reclaim their culture some people chose not to some people chose to and i've talked to people who they just kind of grew up with it as part of their family history mm -hmm. 
but then like for kids around our generation, some of their parents like really doubled down on it and they actually were trying to, you know, reconstruct the language and reconstruct the practices and stuff. So it just, I, they didn't really go into where on that, I'm sure full spectrum, Miss um, Corto fell, but she definitely was grazed with these stories. And I loved her story because her story was like hot drama, right? The yeah. man shoots the Rougarou and it's his brother and it was his ex-wife that cursed him. And then the <laughs> mama's just keeping her mouth shut, but they called the doctor and then nobody talked about it, right? Like That was the down to buy a soap opera right there. <laughs> serious. That'd be a whole season right there. Somebody would have amnesia and they'd have the uncle, the, the yeah. stepwife that cursed him and made him a Rougarou. As the bayou turns. <laughs> oh, God. That's what they call the gossip down here, as the bayou, yeah. as the bayou flows. That's what my mom As the bayou says. flows. Nice. As the I like bayou that. flows. <laughs> <laughs> they have those two accounts, and then they have the guy who talks about going hunting and seeing the Rougarou, and then his mama making him put his gun away for seven mm -hmm. days, right? And he said he kept <laughs> He said he went be above and beyond and kept it away for seven months because he was yeah. so... <laughs> He lost Dude. the boot in the process. He was saying, <laughs> running out. He ran so fast. He's yeah. yeah he I talked didn't, about I didn't... how he felt the breath on his neck, and you know, oh, it was so good. Snarl. It was so yeah. Good. And like I asked people when we were at Rugaru Fest a couple weekends ago. I, I, everyone, you know, it was busy. We were both pretty busy. I didn't have my recorder mm -hmm. with me, but once in a while, somebody would come through, and I'd be telling them about the podcast. And I asked, right? Like I asked, I was like, "Hey, bro, did you ever seen something?" Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like the dudes with the clean white pickup trucks or like the ladies who sometimes go deep sea fishing or something. Like, it wasn't that. It was the people who you could tell. You can tell that they just live most of their life outside. Mm -hmm. Almost every one of them was like, yeah, bro, I saw something. You know, I, I was uh -huh. out fishing on the backside of Terrebonne Bay and I was I was on the shore and I don't know what it was. <laughs> but I fired up my motor and I kept, I took off out of there. You know, it wasn't yeah. a, <laughs> out of That's the couple cool. of hundred people that we saw and probably about the 50 that I asked, the ones that looked like they were outside more, right? The ones who are going to be more familiar with the environment, almost all of them said mm -hmm. that they'd seen something. Now, it might have been a Rougarou. It might have been a Fufule. It might be some stuff for later episodes, but <laughs> it wasn't the it... people who were unfamiliar with the terrain, that yeah. were giving these accounts well, and those are the people that they presented you know yeah for sure well at the at the rougarou fest similar story uh i had my my mom and my aunts were uh behind me my mom's cousin uh and they were all telling their stories of the rougarou and how their dads told them you know this one man down the bay in grand Cayo, you know he had the blue bluest eyes that would look through your soul and he had his shirt buttoned up to his you know wrists and up to his neck and he would never, you know, you'd see him on the road and then you keep going, driving on the road, not making a stop. And he's already beat you to your destination. And like his mother or his wife was the lady that they would call when um a baby, like a pregnancy would go bad. She was like a was midwife. Like, midwives, and like, yep. yeah, <laughs> and she would, she would be the one that they'd call to revive these children that, you know, were otherwise considered beyond, beyond birth, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it I was mean, there's, there's a whole skill to midwifery. I, I like many, many other things. I did consider mm -hmm. that as a career for a while, but that's nice. that's a whole. Yeah, the, the but women, that was the Ruga's, mean, Ruga's wife in one setting. I mean, is interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, if you if you look back on some of the stuff that we uncovered through our work, the Rougarou as the menacing being is is shifting, and maybe maybe it is a curse. Maybe maybe that makes sense, right? The werewolf and the witch. I mean, there's. 
I'm only saying that because midwives and witches, if you look at the history, there's there's a there's a really close tie, right? Like the the women who knew about childbirth were the women who knew about herbs were the women who knew about healing Mm -hmm. were a lot of times the people who would be on the short list of of suspects should a witchcraft scare rise up in the culture the werewolf and the midwife i don't know one of us might should write a book about i love that yeah (laughs) that might be in book two i'm just saying no not not quite that but uh, i got too many other books to write i'll i'll advise you thoroughly i know a lot about birth (laughs) please do yes absolutely (laughs) And I did enjoy the stories that weren't about the Rougarou specifically, like the headless man at Laurel Valley Plantation. They hit on all like our high point haunted locations, right? We've got the headless man at Laurel Valley Plantation, uh, Shadow Man on the Grand Bois Road, uh, the woman in white on Bayou Sally Road. And this you know, is all from about... one lady, right? This is all from the one lady. Now, in the voiceover, they talked about a story that I know from swapping stories from the Louisiana folklore, which is the Rougarou knocking oysters apart. And Mm. that's a story from Glenn Pete. He's a filmmaker that we referenced in the episode from down here from Cutoff. That's one of those cases of like the name. Like to me, that sounds like a brownie or a red cap or like one of those useful fairies that we don't necessarily have a name for in Cajun culture. But is it like the trickster kind of fairy that you're not even a trickster? Like the story of the the shoemaker and the elves, Mm -hmm. right? Like you know that one. That one. That one got a pretty good pop culture treatment. Yeah. There are lots of stories like that. And that's kind of always struck me as, as more in that vein than in a Rougarou vein. Like it's it's these mm-hmm. men are out on their their boat. And I don't know how much you know about oyster fishing. A little. I've, I've been before. We used to have a, my grandfather, grandpa used to have an oyster lease out uh, in the water. But yeah, we used to dredge for them and, you know, big muddy okay, things. You ever see the tongs, like the old, the way they would tong with yeah. the big, it, it almost looks like a post hole digger, right? Right, yeah. Uh, it actually might be the same hardware. I'm not sure. Um, Just bigger and with holes in it to drain the water. Oh, that, yeah. You know. And so they would, you'd take out those big clumps, those big rocks of oyster, oyster beds, and then you'd have to knock them to singles to sell them. Right? Mm, yeah. So you'd spend the day pulling out the big placards of, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know a technical term for it. The big collection clusters. of oysters yeah. from the, the clusters from, see, you know the terms. The big clusters oh. from the bed, and then... The next morning, you'd wake up early and knock them apart, right? So that mm-hmm. night, they heard knocking all night, and all their oysters were knocked to singles for them. Oh. Now some were gone, right? There were the some that were took taken. his toll, his ten percent. But you know, I mean, that's not a raccoon's not going to sit there with a tiny hammer and knock a whole oyster boats full of shells, full of I mean, oysters probably apart. Not. <laughs> probably not. He would eat what he wanted, or you know. That's one of my favorite stories because, but to me, that doesn't sound like a Rougarou. That doesn't sound like a, it sounds like that helpful fairy from the old country mm-hmm. that would come and help you out. And, and yeah. again, I love that they cover this because they, it's filling out that blackout card of like paranormal bingo. You know, mm-hmm. they've got, they cover all of it, even though I'm still, I'm dying on the hill. I think that's a terminology thing. I think that's people using the term Rougarou for entities that don't follow the traditional description of the Rougarou as something that's associated with either shape-shifting or some some aspect of shape-shifting, some aspect of like turning into another thing. I think it's just a, it's a terminology thing. I just love that they, they hit on like the haunted places from when we were little, right? Like Laurel Valley Plantation. We saw it more when we were up in Thibodeau at college and we were at Nichols, but it's a creepy place, you know? Yeah, it's and scary. The more you I've know been about there at it, night, yeah. <laughs> 
the more you know about it, the scarier it is. Because like when you're little, you're like, oh, it's houses. And then you learn to read and you're like, oh, it's slave quarters. And it just gets right. like, it gets more intimidating the more you know about it as far as the history of, not that Laurel Valley had a particularly, you know, they didn't have a singularly horrible history, but it was a plantation. They, mm -hmm. There were slaves that lived on the land and right. they were treated as badly and, you know, as slaves were across the South in that time. Right. Those and, tortured souls would have, you know, right. Yeah. Would still and, haunt and, the plantation, right? And there's definitely lots of stories of sightings. Um, my brother has a really fun story about a, a, a haunted brick that some goober friend of his stole and they brought back to the house and there was all this problems at their apartment. So then they brought the brick back and like left an offering to the spirits of Laurel Valley Plantation because they were the dumbasses who stole the brick. Wow. Um, and they talk about the Grand Bois Road. And, like, the Grand Bois Road is our haunted highway from here. Like, do you guys yeah. have stories about the Grand Bois? Or do y'all even call it the Grand Bois? Or y'all call it we just do the call Road it, Road Yeah, We call it the Grand Bois. Everybody, everybody who's anybody calls it the Grand Bois. <laughs> I've, I've heard it called Burglar Rose Highway, but that's them up the Bayou people. That's them up the Bayou people. And that's, it's a highway that connects La Rose to Klondike. Yep, Klondike, and, um, which is right south of where my parents live in Berg. Yeah, and uh, that's the road that, like, if you if you a little kid, man, that that drive is excruciating. Like, that's that is a long drive. Road. <laughs> it really is. It's less I, than fifteen minutes, even it's doing not the speed bad, limit. Yeah, I took but, I but took a night little, class at South Lafouche, and yeah, I remembered how you know driving what, it. Anyway, no, when it you're little. When you're little, that drive feels like it takes like 45 minutes because you it's are petrified. Yeah. <laughs> and Such it's a good road. It's a good road. It's 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 the it's exactly cliche. Like like just the swamp, the 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 trees, the 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 alligators on the side of the road, the animals mm -hmm. running back and forth constantly. <laughs> and yeah, and and the white woman in white on Bayou Sally Road, woman in white, like I don't think we have enough of a Latino or Hispanic population yet to have a La Llorona story. But like I feel uh, like it's coming, you know, like like mm -hmm. <laughs> the woman in white La Llorona, like it's gonna make that jump once we have a larger Latino population uh down right. here. Right. So which came first, the the sighting or the culture, right? Like or the, I... the culture defined the sighting. Because what this if the is... woman in white was there and then the French called it one thing and then like you said, the Latinos yeah. called it something else. It'll be interesting to see. Maybe twenty years from now they'll do they'll do another uh another thing about the La Llorona of Bayou Sally Road. Perhaps we can only be so lucky. And you know, one thing we see is 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 with these stories and stuff is is aside from the ones that I don't like. I said I don't think of those as they're still fun. They're still they still add something to the podcast for sure. I think it it adds to the flavor and it adds to the you know general demeanor of what they're presenting. But it also follows that similar like story arc, right? Like their work followed that similar story arc of the Rougarou becoming the guardian or warning people mm -hmm. right like they have that and girl babysitter who, <laughs> yeah, and babysitter but they have that girl who like she took the arrowheads from the mound mm -hmm. it, and then she, the the rougarou that she said looked like anubis mm -hmm. like yeah. showed up in her room egyptian god anubis is what yeah. she yeah likened the rougarou too which is also interesting you know north african uh influence yeah i i think i think it's the, the funny thing, why did it take her five nights? Well, right, to return the arrowheads? I don't know how to return. I wouldn't have taken them, I guess, first of all, but then, yeah. I'm maybe a bit of a squirrel. 
in in yeah. ignorance when i was younger i probably would have taken them because anything yeah, that looked cool so goes too. in the pockets i still You're do that right. i came home from ruguru with like buttons in my pockets from the parking lot <laughs> but like night one of Rugaru showing up in my room saying put them back like right. they're going back yeah you're right okay they're going back and For deeper sure. <laughs> <laughs> i've returned them i'm putting them back i'm putting them back but it, it's interesting because they do talk they talk about the mounds they talk about the you know that that she said that their house is on a native mound and stuff and you hear that a lot with stories about skinwalkers and you talked about miss carto talking about the the attack of paw having wolves that live amongst them. And that kind of brings me around to like my problems, like the things that I kind of take a, a little bit of issue with, with mm -hmm. the documentary. And it, it, okay, let's, let's just, let's We're just make a declarative statement. <laughs> there are no caves and therefore no cave art in Homa, Louisiana. Yeah. They did depict some cave art. And I thought about that. And I was like, I get the idea and I like what it looks like, but like they should have maybe used like animal <laughs> skins to portray that art instead of to get a similar, you know, yeah. visual, and, but different. And like, I meaning? like people get this wrong. I worked with an author who had rocks in the Atchafalaya Basin and I had to point out like there are no rocks there unless somebody like hit a body under it and put a rock there on purpose to hide the body. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was, it they was would sink I, like everything yeah. else. <laughs> There's no rocks. No um, and I think, and the imagery wasn't specific to any of the nations. Yeah, I just, I didn't really care for the, I, I guess, kind of smudging and loose shoehorning, I guess, of Native tribes and traditions to make their, their argument that the Ruguru is a physical being that has always lived here, right? Because they do talk about the Mi'kmaq, and they do relate a few things about the Akkadian culture, mm -hmm. but they also like tie it into something called a Chinu, which is an ice giant. Huh. And I just, you know, I, it, it, they do a little bit of, of smudging with a lot of the, the native tribes and the native first nations. And it, that's kind of my one critique of the thing. Like the, we've got a link. I'm going to put a link in the show notes about where the different um, nations were in Louisiana, but like, Cattle was all the way up around Natchitoches and like the Arklatex area. Um, the Homa, well, the Homa were kind of all over. They were they were facilitators, right? The Homa were a a nomadic tribe, and so they they were everywhere. Um, that's nice. why the Homa spoke French before the Cajuns got here. They were a uh. they were a facilitating sort of tribe. Um, the Atakapaw is closer to Lake Charles. The Chittimacha had the southeast. Actually, the term Baton Rouge supposedly there was the baton rouge it was a it was a cypress tree that was painted red mm. that was the bound the northern boundary of the shiramacha territory ah, gotcha. right and that was so prominent that that name has stuck to this day so if if you're gonna have boundaries that are that clearly defined yeah there's gonna be some cultural sharing there's gonna be some stories that like overlap and stuff but they kind of there was some cherry picking and I understand why they did it. Right. Like the way they presented it wasn't terrible. It wasn't horrible, but they definitely did some, uh, some picking and choosing and found the stories that fit and presented them in a way that made it like a little more menacing. Yeah. And, and I can't um, blame them for doing that for sure. I mean, it, it does make for an interesting presentation in that no, aspect, it, it, you know, when you're, yeah. When you're homogenizing it a little bit or making it like concentrated, 
Yeah. But yeah. And and seriously, the all in all, nine point five out of ten with that point five <laughs> being like the but, but Rougarou aren't ice giants sort of aspect, and there's no caves in Homa. There are caves <laughs> in Louisiana. Well, are there caves? There's 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 rocks know. like up near Tunica. Not in South Louisiana for sure. Who no, not not <laughs> not down the by it ain't got no caves in... and salt mines don't count. Uh nah. salt domes don't count. So yeah, just and the imagery was like I couldn't find any any specific uh, iconography that they referenced that was um, indigenous to tr the nations of Louisiana. So just just little just a just a tick mark. But you find that really that's really common with a lot of the cryptid, you know, a cryptid work because they they they're mm -hmm. coming at it from the point of view is like, oh, the Rougarou is a physical being that's always lived here. So we have to start with the the native stories of the place, yeah. right? And I get it. They treated it well. Just if I'm going to find something to find a fault with, it's going to be that. The imagery, the presentation, they've read the same books as us. They they talked yeah. to the people that we talked to. They did a beautiful job with the entirety of that film, for sure. Yeah, and they, they made it it's spooky. They made it, you know, they presented really good stories. The voiceovers were, you know, well-written. Like, it's just, it's a really, really, really good documentary if you want to get another perspective on the podcast that has a lot of visual elements. Right. And a lot of yeah. visual elements and a lot of elements from, you know, just the down the by life, like you said earlier, like even they mentioned frogging, right? Like <laughs> the whole, the whole thing of frogging. Uh, can you describe frogging? Cause I don't yeah, like, sure. I've never been, <laughs> I just know that you can use a bull eye. Yeah, I call so, it a bull eye, which yeah, is. Uh, like, yeah. So a headlight, right. A, a light that you'd <laughs> mount on your head. We always call them a bull eye too. But yeah, so you go on at night, and then you're shining that bull eye because, you know, all those frogs come out at night croaking, and then you're now shining look, your bull, bull eye. a bull eye is literally a headlight from a car on a on a handle or on your head. Like, it is that bright. <laughs> right. You can use it to, to find people who are trespassing in your pasture if you're going to yeah. go out at night. But in this case, you're looking for glowing eyes, right? So you're looking for all the glowing eyes of the frogs. Sometimes you see gators glowing eyes sometimes you see raccoons you know whatever climbing trees or whatever the heck they're doing nutria too well not too many nutria at night but um but the glowing eyes so you're, you're looking for them and you um and there's there was laws whenever we were doing it right you couldn't break the skin so you had to like you couldn't use like a gig you had to use like a paddle to whack them over the head with it and you know knock them unconscious and then put them in the in the ice chest for later and then you yeah, and then you got your frogs, and these frogs are huge too. They're like the size of a softball in some cases. No, they're real, real nice South Louisiana frogs. They're delicious. Frogs. They are. I've, I've eaten them. So a gig, a gig. All right, just just because I'm I'm unsure, and if I'm unsure, then there must be people who don't who who mm -hmm. don't know because a gig is like a harpoon almost, right? Yeah, yeah, like, like a, a small harpoon. harpoon. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Um, I'm literally just imagining this as a game of like sudden death whack-a-mole <laughs> yeah basically and so so speaking of like you know shining the light on the eyes sometimes you can't tell whether those eyes are like a small gator or a frog and you might hit a small gator on top of the head on accident and you know <laughs> it makes a little more commotion than a frog for sure <laughs> they don't like yeah, that too much i just they, they mentioned going frogging at night like this is Check out some videos of this. Um, yeah, please. I've do. never it's been. Fun. I've I've eaten the bounty of a frogging expedition. I have not myself gone play. Yeah. Uh, nocturnal whack a frog. And look, me. for me, it's been Go like twenty five, thirty years since I've done it, so <laughs> that might be a little off in my memory and or, or my in my approach. Maybe there are current ways that you know do it better, but something that's how it worked for us. 
something makes me think that just I mean, from the number of bullock like there's still you can still go into any parking lot at a high school or definitely at a bar and be like, Who's got a bull eye in their truck? And at least three dudes are gonna raise their hand and probably two ladies too. Like yeah. this is not uncommon. That's funny. Um, it's I, just... I got a bull eye in my truck right now, just so you know. <laughs> y'all y'all have anything y'all y'all uh y'all go bull eyeing for up there or it's just a safety no. thing? No. Yeah, I just have it, yeah, for safety <laughs> thing. You know, you get stuck in in your truck at you know, whatever in the middle of the night on a snowy night and you, you definitely want a light of some kind to you need to sing you need to, to signal the satellites on starlink you can use a bullseye yeah because <laughs> right now you know i i grew up down the via but now i live in the the northern equivalent of that i guess i was at the bottom of the boot now i'm at the tip of the <laughs> mitt you know <laughs> equally rural but different uh wilderness yeah trials and Clear blue skies and bright if crisp day, whereas you're uh, you're all snowed in, not yeah. snowed in, but you're uh, yeah, that amount of snow y'all got would have would have shut down Lafouche Parish for sure. <laughs> yeah, but uh, look, um, small town monsters. I just want to reach. I just want to go ahead and just on the record, give, give a shout out. They did a, a wonderful job. They they, they did, did their homework. They got the assignment, and uh, I don't think the Rougarou is going to pull their toes for this one. What about you? No. No, the Rugarus are not gonna pull their toes. Small town monsters, the breed loves y'all. Y'all toes are safe. Yeah, y'all are doing uh... great work. Keep it up, please. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for stopping by Outlandish Parish for this little visit, y'all. If you want to know more, please visit outlandishparish.com, or you can find us on Facebook by searching Outlandish Parish. It's a private group on Facebook, but I promise the entrance exam isn't too hard. We are trying to do some things. We're trying to get some things going. We're trying to start a journal for Louisiana-based speculative fiction. So if you're an author and you work under 3,000 words, go ahead and uh, check out the criteria on outlandishparish.com. You can also find us on Instagram, at outlandishparish. And if you want to support us, as always, if you like what we do, Go ahead and check out Jonas's work at creaturesofconquest.com or my work at alexisbro.com. And merci, and we'll be back in about two weeks with another episode, y'all. Y'all have a good evening, and bonsoir from Outlandish Parish. <laughs>